everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of the Breaking Silence podcast. I'll be your host throughout this season, and my name is Allie Meyerhart. I'm the executive director of this nonprofit, and I'm very excited to have this conversation with you where Ashley and I walk through what it's like to experience sexual harassment in the workplace. You're going to hear a little bit of mixed audio in this episode. Ashley is someone that has recorded her story with us in the past, so in order to kind of drive home some of the things that she brings up, we do add in the recordings of her story. You'll hear music play, and that'll be your introduction to Ashley's story from the past. We are an organization that does record survivor stories. So after you hear this, if you would be interested in sharing your story with us, please visit our website at breakingsilence.org. And you'll be able to submit a form telling us that you'd like to share your voice with us. We really hope you enjoy this very first episode of the podcast. Please like and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And of course, leave comments. We'd love to start the conversation with you. We are breaking the silence, starting the Welcome, everybody, to the Breaking Silence podcast. I'm very excited to have Ashley Kraft joining me today to talk about her story. So welcome, Ashley. Thanks, Allie. Thanks (laughs) for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. It's my pleasure. There is going to be talk about sexual assault and sexual harassment throughout this podcast. So take care of yourself. Pause it. There's no rush. It's a podcast. It's not going anywhere. So do you take care of yourself as much as you need to. And with that, I'm just going to let you sort of Talk a little bit about who you are. Why are you here? All right. So I work for a eyewear company. That's actually how we met Allie. Mm -hmm. And I started working with Breaking Silence for my purpose project for that company. And working with Breaking Silence, I was talking to you one day and you said something about somebody with a story about sexual harassment. And I told you that I had one. And so you helped me bring my story out and you helped me just get it out of my head. And first it was just written and then it was on, it lived on the website and then I recorded it. And then here we are talking about it now. And then a little bit more about me. Uh, I have two dogs that I love. Nice. What are their names? (laughs) Aria and Eleanor. Love that. Yeah. Dogs are very important, especially in the healing process. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. So Sort of what Breaking Silence does is we work with survivors like yourself and we help through story development, figure out the ownership of your story, how you want it to sound and to be written or in this case, recorded as well. Um, So just tell me a little bit about that process. What was it like to first write your story in your own voice, your own words, and then to record it? So writing the story took longer than I anticipated. I believe that I had it out for, it was a deliverable for one quarter at work. And I think it took me two quarters. It was really hard to go back and relive what had happened because I still had so much shame and almost feeling like I did something wrong in the situation. And so luckily I had you help me realize that my part in this was just that I was the victim of sexual harassment in the workplace and that it wasn't my fault. So I came through a lot of healing, through writing the story. I ended up breaking up with a partner at the time because going back to that situation, 
I there was just no support. And that wasn't the only reason why I broke up with a partner, but it was definitely a huge <laughs> part of it. Reliving what had happened and how I had such a lack of support. I also started going to therapy during this time to just really work on healing myself altogether. And then recording it, I procrastinated. I think I recorded it the day before it was due for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just hard to go back to that spot. It's really hard to go back, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to share my story and to hopefully reach anybody else who's experienced the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like that's a really important part of this is the talking about how it was hard and valuable. You know, I think a lot of times survivors are met with what I call kid gloves. Like, let's not really talk about what happened to you. I don't want you to have to relive it. I don't want you to have to talk about it. And that doesn't feel like enough credit to the survivor of what they went through, what their experience was. Like, this is already living inside of you. This is, it's your story. So what was it like to be able to talk about it, even though it was hard? You know, there's sort of a juxtaposition happening there. It was hard and it was all these other things. So how did you kind of resolve that conflict? I mean, it was really empowering to bring it to paper and to to say it out loud. And I do want to say that it was therapeutic and not that I was avoiding therapy, but it definitely was therapeutic to get it all out in chronological order and, again, remind myself that I didn't have a part in, like, I I was the person who was a victim of this. I didn't do anything specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And I remember your first draft leaned pretty heavy on the victim-blaming side. You definitely were taking a ton of ownership over what had happened between you and your boss. And through writing it, why'd that tone change for you over time? Because I had you help guide me along the way. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I would probably still, I eventually would have gone to therapy. This was all in the beginning of the pandemic. So I eventually would have gotten there. But you helped me really understand and reread what I had written and (laughs) give me that guidance of stop blaming yourself for this. this. This was not your fault. This was not something that you intended to happen. Right. Or caused to happen. Yeah. What was it like to get that feedback, though? That's pretty. I mean, I'm not saying I was mean about it, but uh, it definitely was feedback on like, hey, the the tone of your story is this is your fault. And that's not an uncommon tone. I mean, I'm a survivor as well. And I sometimes still talk about it like it's my fault. And it's because I want to be able to control the narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say like this wasn't in my control. So How was getting that feedback for me? It's probably the best feedback I've ever gotten, to be (laughs) honest. (laughs) It was hard. Obviously, it was really hard because I was still so in my head about it at the time. And it was hard to hear that, especially because I was still living with the partner at the time. I was still in a relationship with this person who had been so unsupportive. And, you know, when you read the story or when you listen to my story, There's at one point where something happened and they said, well, boys will be boys about my boss. Oh, okay, you're right. Uh, You're totally right. And hearing you be like, no, Ashley, boys will not just be boys. So it was empowering, enlightening. It stung at first, but it was just for the best. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times in our narrative, and you talk about this, right? Like there was a culture in your workspace of sort of he's just that way you know, that's what he does. These sort of excuses around his behavior. And 
for you, what does that look like for you now? I mean, how do you tell the story around his behavior? Do you see it through that lens? What lens do you see what happened in now? Oh, at this point, I think he's been able to get away with what he's been doing for all this time. For A, the industry he works in, being a white male in this industry, and also he owns the company. He's owned the company for 22 years. I don't know, maybe 24 at this point. I don't know how long it's been. But he's owned the company. He's kept it very minimally staffed. And so now I see that this is just really gross behavior. And that's certainly not a place that I would ever want to work. And I would advocate if I ever saw that happening in a workplace now. I would advocate for the person that it was happening to. At what point do you feel like you wish someone had advocated for you? Uh, The very first instance. At 8 a.m. on the dot, my boss pulled me into a storage closet, the only private space in the office, and said that we would be meeting a client on the following Tuesday. He said this had been a longtime client until they started working with their biggest competitor a few years back. They chose to work with us following the following week because our competitor was fully booked. The importance of this meeting was going to make or break them working back in with us. He urged me to get familiar with their file and review their previous bookings. I was allowed to ask any question that I had to make sure that I was fully prepared for this meeting by Tuesday. I was so excited. Week one, and I'm being roped into important client matters. My expertise is paying off. I am the new face of this company, and things are moving fast. I walked out of the storage closet with a game plan in mind. I would review everything, take notes, and just ask all my questions at once. My thoughts were interrupted by a voice from the storage closet. Oh, yeah. And wear that dress I like, the one with the cleavage. I was mortified and I felt ashamed that my boss had said that. In my head, I questioned myself. Did I really wear a dress with cleavage to a new job? What's wrong with me? That comment was a joke, though. In reality, everyone in the office laughed, including the other female who also shrugged towards me as to non-verbally tell me, Welcome to hell. I really wish that any of the other five people that were in the office that heard that and laughed at it, whether they were laughing because they thought it was funny or because they were uncomfortable, I really wish that somebody else would have advocated for me at that moment. I was one week into this job. Yeah. What do you wish they had said? That it was inappropriate. So why do you feel like it's so hard for us to say something in that moment? In that situation specifically, I will say that he was all of our boss. Mm. And I think that's what it was. He owned the company. He he essentially was the CEO and the COO and HR. He was all of it. Right. You know, who do you who do you go to above him? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I wanted to report the crime, which I didn't at the time, but I don't even know how I would have gone about that. I just want to get the fuck out of that situation. Right. As things progress and as all the comments kept getting made little you know here and there I just knew that I just had to get out of there yeah nothing could have made me feel better even if I had gone to HR like the office manager who was acting as HR and she would have said something then he could have just made both of our lives miserable mm-hmm. yeah which is essentially what he did which is why I got out of there he was already in a pattern of knowing he could get away with it absolutely and, and he was unchecked with you it was one week into you starting working there And he's already crossing lines that are not okay. 
I totally forgot. I think it's when we were in the car together going home from one of the the locations that we were at. And I had been giving him all these ideas that I had. I was so excited. So I was hired for this company to start and build a customer service department from scratch, which was a dream of mine. This company had been established for years and he finally wanted to build out a customer service department. That's my expertise. And so we get in the car and I, I, you know, I want to hear why he hired me over these other people because I knew that there were a couple of candidates in the running. And one of the comments he made to me was that he hired a pretty girl over a guy with experience. That should have set me running right there because he told me that the position uh, would have me taking out customers like to lunch and to coffee. And so obviously you had to have a pretty girl. I was deflated. He mentioned nothing about my passion for customer service. Had he even read my resume? He wasn't referring to my passion for customer service, but instead he was referring to my physical appearance. I don't remember anything for the rest of that day or the clients that we visited, but I do remember driving home and sulking. For the rest of my first week, I was giving myself pep talks on the way to work. I know my value, my work history is impressive, and I am smart. It wasn't about like, oh, well, you were a better candidate for X, Y, Z. It was I was a better candidate because I was a pretty woman. Right. And that, you know, how many times do we walk into rooms or work environments and are told, you know, your value, whether it's subliminally or quite literally, that our value is our image and the way that people feel around us, not our intelligence and our expertise and You were 100% qualified, but to bring you down to a level of your value for him is just your physical appearance. It negates everything. Absolutely. That's exactly what it felt. It was so deflating is the perfect word, deflating. Yeah. What do you think it was for you to be deflated in that moment, the first couple of days working? How did that impact you? To be honest, I... I still wanted to do what I was intended to do. I still wanted to build that customer service department. And I think, unfortunately, it made me feel like I had to work that much harder to impress him and that I was going to be able to stand out to him any other way. Right. Yeah, it made it harder for you to show him the thing that mattered, which was your intelligence and your skill set. Exactly. Because all he was seeing was, you're a pretty girl. Yeah. Yeah. And that is... The literal thing that sexual harassment in the workplace does is it takes away our feeling of, I can do this, Mm -hmm. that I deserve this, that I can walk into every room and command it, not because of how I look, but because I'm smart and I'm really good at what I do, that instantly gets stripped away Yeah, with these comments. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit. What's been the evolution from getting from a boss that was saying... All of these things about your physical appearance that leads to much worse incidences. How did you go from this to where you are now? With a lot of therapy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, like, you know, getting my story out was therapeutic, but also I've done a lot of work on myself. I've read a lot of self-help books. And I will say that leaving that relationship was a huge milestone for me. 
it was huge for me. It was huge for my healing. And then I spent a year alone because we were still in a pandemic after that. So I just got to other ways outside of therapy to heal too. So like through art therapy or journaling or um, shadow work, there's just been a ton of work on myself that I've done to get to where I am today. I've had to overcome the worst imposter syndrome at my current job too, where I have people telling me like, please stop, please stop with the imposter syndrome and feeling like the stupidest person in the room to where I was a couple weeks ago where I actually felt, oh my gosh, I'm the smartest person in the room. Like I am the expert at this. So it's been a, it's been a journey. It's been a lot of, a lot of self-help to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it's not singular. It's not just therapy. It's not just being alone and meditating. It's not just doing artwork. It's doing all of those things together and working through it. Yeah. At the production company, you know, the imposter syndrome makes a ton of sense because you're basically being told you are an imposter. You're just literally here because you're good looking. So that instantly feeds into that, like, ick feeling. That, like, fuck, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Yeah. Why am I hired? I have no value. And that sort of gets perpetuated. How did that cycle inside of that production company continue for you? Do you mean for the rest of the two weeks that I was there? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you left pretty fast. Like, I did. You... I, I left within... But two... it escalated quickly. So. It, it did. He never... That boss was so hard on me. Nobody answers their phone anymore. Nobody. Especially not producers and directors and music video directors. Like, these people are never answering their phones. They answer text messages. And one of the tasks he gave me was to call these people and introduce myself as the new customer support manager for this company. He was consistently checking my phone to make sure that I actually called people because he said he never heard me on the phone, like, talking to people. I was like, well, no one's answering. You're you're hearing me leave. 200 voicemails a day, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, but he just said, it's just really weird that you're not getting anybody on the phone. I'm like, well, nobody else, they, these people aren't in sales. They don't answer their phone like you. I think little by little, there was just a, there was a huge lack of trust that I was even doing. I forgot what it was. There was one thing that he actually took as it was an idea that I had when I was interviewing for him. I went through like three or four interviews and it was something that he had implemented between me getting hired and me actually starting and it was like his idea. Like he took my idea. He didn't give me credit for it. Um, and yeah. And then just feeling like I wasn't doing the job correctly every single day. Um, when he was working from home, he would call me and I would have to give him a full recap of everything that I did. Like how many calls did I make? How many people did I actually get on the phone? And I just, I haven't worked anywhere that I was micromanaged like that in years, not even in retail was I micromanaged like that, where I had to give a full recap of my day right? after hours too, like on my way home. So the imposter syndrome was, it's obvious that you would have imposter syndrome through that and being told that I have no value other than my looks. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was a version of control and manipulation that was just like existing together. And the reason why I feel like it's important to talk about this is because I think a lot of times people assume that sexual harassment, sexual assault, domestic violence just like magically manifest into the world. It's a culture that has allowed it to exist. It's reinforcement that he can get away with things. And it's the process of identifying 
people intentionally that he knows that he can manipulate and control or at least believes you know you ultimately prove him wrong you leave very fast you get out of that scenario very quickly you stand on your own two feet and you are truly a champion of your own story really really early on and that is a lot because of who you are as a person and I think because you caught on super fast to Mm -hmm. what his bullshit was Mm -hmm. you know and so I think you survived not just sexual harassment at the hands of your boss but a culture that said this is what you deserve you know because how many of the people that were around you were basically saying this is just how it is oh all five of the people that worked in the office with us the office was just one to paint a picture for everybody the office was one huge open spot and all of the tables were just all of our desks were just kind of placed in random spots there really was no actual office to go have a meeting in there was a lot of people making eyes when he would make comments of oh well welcome to hell this is this is what we do here this is what we have to listen to all day and and she told me, oh, he's going to get himself in so much trouble someday. He's going to get himself in so much su- trouble someday. Someday somebody's going to report him, which meant this had happened before, right. whether it was to her or to somebody else that had been in the office. And the men that were in the office, they would just keep their heads down. When we arrived at the location, I was told that the client was not there and we had made the trip for nothing, followed by laughter between my boss and our driver on set. He explained that he and our driver went way back and that they're known as office pranksters. He said that there had been a huge spider in the toilet one time and pulled up a picture on his phone. At first, I saw a hairy tarantula in a toilet bowl, and I looked away. I squealed that I hated spiders. He laughed, and he showed me again. This time, I noticed in the corner the silhouette of a penis. I looked away, and he shoved his phone in my face for the third time, and I loudly told him, I see it, ha ha, with extreme sarcasm. The two men laughed as I stood there completely in awe of what just happened and not knowing what to do. I was supposed to be getting back into a car with one of these men, the man that just showed me an inappropriate picture. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that the person that is at fault is your boss. And in the way that we work here at Breaking Silence, it's also looking at everything that surrounded that person where we could have made little slight adjustments that don't lead to a very qualified, smart, and wonderful person getting sexually harassed and then having to quit her job. And that's why sort of looking at this from like a cultural piece of people being quiet, of staying silent, all of these things play into a man for 22 years getting away with sexually harassing his employees. And if you could look at that scenario, sort of look at the culture, the responsibility that is all his to take in knowing that maybe certain things would have shifted the reality of what was happening for you. And you kind of described in the moment of people saying something, but what else would you empower people to do in a culture like this? Leave as fast as you can. Definitely advocate for yourself. Like I said, I wish that other people would have advocated for me. But I felt the most empowered the day that I quit and when I sent that email. I wrote and rewrote a resignation email. I fantasized about sending it and feeling an empowerment that would just rush over me as I started the job search all over again. 
I decided to share the resignation letter with my best friend for feedback. She encouraged me to send it and never go back. She assured me that all my feelings were valid and the comments that he made were inappropriate. I felt heard. The weight was lifted off me for feeling like any of this had been brought on by something that I did. I sent the email the first thing Monday morning at 6 a.m. and copied the office manager. My first and final paycheck were deposited in my bank account by 10 a.m. I finally felt that rush of empowerment I had been longing for all weekend. And shocking that no one reached out to me to follow up. Uh, But I included everything. And I mean, there were also some really poor business decisions that he made as well. He essentially hired me. He was hiring this position so that he could oversell, overpromise, underdeliver, and have somebody else clean up the mess. So that was on top of the sexual harassment. That was what my job was, right. which is terrible. Not a fun job. Terrible business plan. Awful business plan. <laughs> I just, yeah. I mean, I think that answers it. Just sort of, you know, leaving for sure. And I think uh, yeah. that what I hope in having conversations like this with you and with other survivors is getting to a culture where the whole story gets flipped on its head and the person without a job is him mm-hmm. and the person running a company is you. Yeah. Because that's that's like the wonderful world that I think yeah. we deserve to live in. Yeah. And I personally think that that starts with empathy. Empathy for yourself. Empathy for the people in the office that maybe didn't do something and maybe they should because they have their own stories, but Mm -hmm. that's complicated too. And, you know, is there a word for you, like empathy is breaking silence as word, but is there a word for you that you hold on to in your story that feels like the catalyst for change? Respect. Respect for myself, respect for my future, but overall just it's really respecting myself to get out of there and not feel that I had to be in that situation. It is so scary to have a gap in your employment. It is so scary. And I will say that. And I was lucky that I had the means to do it. Um, Not everybody's going to have that. But I will say that when you the next job comes along and they ask why there's a gap in your employment, I mean, it's not the end of the world that there's a tiny gap in your employment. People are still going to hire you. Yeah, I think respect. Yeah. And I think you've found that, you know, you respect yourself greatly and the courage it took for you to leave, the courage it took for you to then put yourself back out there in another customer service role in a young company Mm -hmm. with a male CEO Mm -hmm. and trust that they would respect you, not for your looks, but for that wonderful brain of yours that Mm -hmm. is very smart and has all this experience and even dipping your toe into that new brand, did you feel a shift in your healing and your perspective? Oh my gosh. During the interviews, I felt a shift. Just the way that everybody communicated with me, with each other, interviewing with the CEO of Gooder, I felt a completely different vibe than I had with the CEO of the other company. You're talking about really different cultures. One that upholds values of respect, transparency, Mm -hmm. honesty, and one that upheld silence, oppression, and, you know, dominance. Yeah. Dominance. That is, yep, that was the only thing that was important to him, is having that dominance over everybody. I think a lot of times 
people like him feel like they're sneaky. You know, that oh, people yeah. don't know that they're assholes. Yeah. <laughs> and doing all of this. But you knew from the moment you walked through Gooder's doors how different it was. And did you feel that same thing walking through that production company's doors? No, not at all. I I ignored every red flag when I was interviewing for that position because in my mind, I was thinking how awesome for my career to build a customer service department from scratch. And my best friend had red flags the whole time I was interviewing for that company. And I was so upset with her. I ended up telling her this after I quit. I was so upset with her because I thought that she was just jealous of this opportunity. And in hindsight, all of her red flags turned out to be correct. Uh, What were they? What were her red flags? Just, it was more on the shady business side of things. She she didn't like the fact that he wouldn't tell me how many customers they had um, when I was asking because that was, you know, my my job was to go through the book of clients and to continue to call them and offer customer service and soft sales, but no numbers attached to it. So hers, her red flags were really along like the shady business side of things. And that's exactly what he was. He was a shady businessman. He was overpromising, and under-delivering. He hired me to clean up his messes. And he said that my very last day. He did say that to me. We know instinctively as humans when things are not transparent, mm-hmm. when things are hiding under veils that are eventually going to get exposed. Yeah. And I think we're often taught to not trust those instincts, to say that this person is trustworthy because they've been in business for 22 years, so how bad could they be? These other people work here, so obviously it's not that bad of a place. We tell ourselves all of these things, and as you've gone through the process of writing your story, sharing your story, therapy, all of these things, and the foundation of you becoming respect do you feel like you would be able to walk into that environment and know in your soul I'm not doing this absolutely I think that moving forward I know my worth especially with my expertise Mm -hmm. but also I I think I could see a red flag and immediately walk away from something no matter how tempting it may be Um, salary or a really cool opportunity I think I could see the red flag now and be like, mm, this is not the right environment for me. Yeah. And, and that, that comes with work, too. That was that was not just the day that I walked out of there and sent the email saying, this is everything that happened and you all need to, more people need to understand what happened and why this is wrong. It didn't happen that day. This probably happened more along the lines of in the last three to six months that I'm finally getting to this part where... I do feel like I could see these red flags and walk away from something, even if it's tempting. Right. Absolutely. And I think that is the empowerment of sharing our stories Mm -hmm. is not to say, like, listen to my lessons and don't make my same, you know, don't walk into the environment and ignore the red flags. That's not the point. The point is to say you are a bright and smart and intelligent woman who doesn't deserve anything that you got from that company. Mm -hmm. And neither does any other woman. And if we start talking and having more of these conversations, the sooner we can look at each other and say, I respect you so much and I'm I'm in something similar and I need help getting out. Mm-hmm. Or I went through that too and this is what I saw in these patterns. And then we start putting the puzzle together. Yeah. 
faster. And that means that we get to shut down all of this bullshit so much sooner. Mm -hmm. I had been trained to never ruffle feathers in the workplace, like to stay silent if that happens. And that I look like the I'm going to be the problem if future employers find out that I stood up to somebody who was sexually harassing me in the workplace. And that day when I walked out of there, I just said, fuck that to everything that I had been trained in quotations. And I just made, started making my own rules with the base of respecting myself. The woman that I am today feels so much pain for the woman that I was a year ago when this all happened. She felt alone and isolated. I wish I could have been as brave as I am today back then. I wish I had known that while I may have not been in any physical danger, the verbal harassment that I endured and the emotional toll that it took was all important. And I hope that in sharing my story that people will know how much support is out there for all of us. I hope that by hearing your story and talking about this, that other women and other survivors and other people here that trust that heart, trust that gut, know you're not alone, know that whatever foundation you want to build upon, whether it's respect or empathy or love or success, is yours to take through the journey of writing your story, of talking about it in therapy of doing meditation, of doing art, of doing all of the things, of having dogs, whatever it is, you get to fill your bucket with anything you want, but you get to fill your bucket with anything you want. Exactly. Anything. And sometimes that's a new job. And sometimes it's, sometimes it looks like treating myself on a shopping spree. And sometimes (laughs) it looks like playing Animal Crossing on my balcony in the sun while my dog sunbathed next to me and drinking a LaCroix. You know, sometimes it's just getting on the Peloton and doing a really hard class and sweating it out. And sometimes it's having a dope meeting where you walk out and you're like, damn, that was good. Pat yourself on the back. But you're right, Allie, like you get to fill up your toolbox with all of these things. I did not do anything wrong. I did the right thing by leaving. So yeah, yeah, you did the right thing by leaving, by reporting, by telling us in the recording, by talking to us now. Yeah. And He's just a sad little man, and you're a badass. He is a sad little man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he is. Well, Ashley, any other final thoughts? No, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Thank you for everything that you do with Breaking Silence. The moment that I met you, I wanted to be involved with this. So thank you for uh, giving me a place to share my story. And um, I'm just so excited to see what you continue doing with Breaking Silence. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Again, it's so lovely to have you. Thank you so much for joining us for the very first episode of the Breaking Sounds podcast. We want to give a thank you to some very important people. First of all, thank you to Ashley for the vulnerability coming on the show and talking about something that is not easy to do. We really hope it helps you in your own journey. 
I want to thank Jacob Lusk, who is the person who wrote, sang, and produced our beautiful intro and outro song, to Ben Pronsky and the Voice Actors Network that gave us the space to do these recordings and help me sound engineer. And of course, to all of you for listening, for being here. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. We will continue to start the conversation to uplift voices and to hear what it means to be truly healed. Join us next week as we will drop a new episode every Monday. Stay well.